Hey everyone, I'm Mike Holdsworthy. Yeah, and I'm Blake Bryan, and we want to welcome you to the Tomorrowland Church podcast. Uh, we created this podcast to explore innovative ways transformational leaders are leading and reimagining the church for tomorrow. With that said, let's start the show. Well, friends, welcome back to another episode here of the Tomorrowland Church Podcast. We are grateful to have you with us again. And um, today we're going to do something a little bit different. And rather than Blake and I bringing on uh, uh, one of our friends to interview, I, I thought instead um, I'm actually going to interview Blake today. So, Blake, how you feeling? How you feeling about that being in the hot seat? Feeling pretty good, man. I, I don't think I've seen the entire list of questions uh, that, that you want me to answer. So um, I'm not sure where you're going to direct me in this thing. Should be a good time. <laughs> well, you always know that one of the questions is, what is the darkest sin that you haven't told anyone about? <laughs> so the quicker we get into that, the better we can move on from it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> good. Right. Well, here, let me tell you, as long as you edit it out, I'm just <laughs> Um, so the reason, the reason, friends, that we wanted to have Blake on here as a guest as opposed to as one of the hosts this time is because one of the things that's been brought up in a few of the interviews or in some like at the beginnings or ends of it is you've actually heard us talk a little bit about something that Blake started called Restoration Roasters. And I thought we need to hear more about it because I think what's happening with Restoration Roasters is really fascinating. I think that you're going to be interested in it, and I think it's going to give us a peek also inside of a way to think about innovation and some things that we can learn about about some innovative practices that Blake um, that Blake's participated in. So, so let's just like get right into it, Blake. What is Restoration Roasters? How would you define it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, Restoration Roasters is a, is a specialty coffee. Um, bar or shop, if you if you want to call it, and the reason we call it specialty coffee is because all of the coffee cherries are basically hand picked um, by the farmer at, at just its ripest point, uh, which would be a distinction between maybe somebody else, um, like a, a Starbucks or another coffee shop that you've heard of. Um, so we primarily, I mean, exclusively uh, sell specialty coffee. So you're doing, yeah, higher end, better coffee, but um, but there are other things that set you apart from another high end local coffee shop that I could go to or a local coffee roaster that I could go to, right? Correct. Yeah, what we would what we would be considered is basically coffee with a cause. You, you know okay. what I mean? Um, and and I would say our cause is better than our coffee, and I think our coffee is pretty darn good. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, restoration roasters. Um, was developed um, out of uh, a meeting that I was having with a client of ours, uh, Drip, Robbie Sater and Drip. And uh, Drip Coffee out of Chino Hills is fantastic, but he has a roasting company called Espresso Republic. And uh, we were doing a tour of basically their roasting facility. And he was talking about the story of the, the bean. And as he was talking about it, he was really unveiling kind of our story as it relates to God. And it, it was really interesting that the, that this farmer picks this bean at just the right time, the perfect time. And it's not until basically that it goes through this refining fire 
that we, you know, that, that it emits the sweet aroma and taste that we have come to, to love and enjoy. And it just reminded me as people, you know, that, that God picks us at as that right time. And it's not until we as, as, as believers go through this refining fire, um, are, are, are we able to kind of emit, so to speak, that, that aroma to God that is pleasing to him. And um, at the time, I had been called um, to a local rescue mission. It was the Cronenorca Rescue Mission, and I felt called by God to launch a church in the local rescue mission um, because, um, you know, there were churches that, that certainly supported the rescue mission. We're doing a fantastic job, but, it, but the, the people in the mission, uh, it being a two-year program, live-in program, they, a lot of them could not get off campus, and so they found them stuck. So can uh, I ask you a quick question about absolutely. that? Absolutely. So you're starting a church in the rescue mission. And is that a church that was exclusively for people that are part of the rescue mission or were people who are outside coming? And it was like this partnership between people, people who um, are, are living in homes and are fully employed and people who are homeless, like in church together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was, it was open to the community, um, okay. although it was, it was hosted in the local rescue mission. So that's where our church met. And um, what I would say is absolutely people from the community are welcome. I would say that there were less people from the community that were coming than obviously the participants in the rescue mission and also the homeless community. So okay. there are people, you know, in Corona that, that were part of the homeless community that didn't want to take advantage of the program that the, the rescue mission was providing. And so what we would do is we would open our doors um, to everybody. And um, we, we did that because a lot of people, the homeless community would time and time again come to us and say, we don't feel very comfortable going into some of the churches in town, but we feel very comfortable coming to here. And part of that is because the rescue mission was doing um, some, some food service at night and providing dinners. And that was a great time for us to get to know those people in the community as part of the homeless community and invite them on Sundays. And, um, you know, we, we saw it all, you, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, yeah, uh, but it, yeah. there was something beautiful about that. And I think honestly, part of the reason we didn't have as many people come from the community is because they were uncomfortable for sure. Yeah, no, you know? that makes sense. Yeah. They were, uncomfortable. um, well, I didn't mean to make you go too far off of an, a tangent there, but yeah. I, I was kind of curious about that as you were talking about launching a church inside of a rescue mission. Cause that, that's a, innovative, interesting thing in and of itself doing that. But so we're going down the path of kind of like the inspiration for yeah. Restoration Roasters and, and you Absolutely. launched this church. Yeah. My, my thought was, you, you know, so we gone through the story of the bean and it just connected. Um, and one of the challenges that the homeless community faces as they're going through the program is the vocational training and the resume building on the other side. Hmm. So as they're going through this two-year program, they're getting education, they get GEDs, they're getting medical care, they're getting food, clothing, all the things that they need, necessities, you know. And I think with the church, we were certainly um, providing kind of that that spiritual, you know, uh, side of things. Um, and, um, you know, the, the preaching of the gospel, um, which, you know, is the most important thing. Um, and... But, but we saw that there was a little bit of a disconnect where um, they graduate the program, but th they haven't necessarily been able to build maybe the confidence, the skills, the, the resume, then to go get a job 
because we want them to be sustainable on the other side of the program. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, if, if we had an opportunity somehow, one, bring awareness into the community that there is homelessness that most people want to avoid, you know, if we're able to give the, the, the rescue mission participants an opportunity for vocational training and take the revenue that we get and supplement the cost of the actual program because mm-hmm. it's not government funded, it's privately funded, then, wow, we've really accomplished three great things. Y- yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's why um, we, I wanted to really create, and I think God put this on my heart, to create Restoration Roasters. Um, and, and I just, as that story of the bean connected with me, and then I saw these needs, it just kind of all came together. You know what I mean? I, I didn't have to do much thinking. I really felt like God just impressed this vision on my heart. And I, I, and I need to give him the glory for that always. You know, and it wasn't me. I think I was just the person he used um, to, to bring it all together. Um, because I had a passion for these people. And, and so, yeah, so we, I mean, it was a quick, it was a quick startup. I mean, I believe that, um, you know, he gave me that in probably April of 2013, no, 2014, I believe. And, uh, we were, basically opened, I believe like December 7th of that same year, wow. all the way from concept to build out to serving customers. I mean, okay. it, it was that fast. Um, so, so I'm curious within that, like, well, one, um, I think one of the things that I've learned during my time with plain Joe has been how central story is to everything. Absolutely. And I just thought like, as I was listening to you describe your experience there, how significant it was that you you grabbed a hold of, you had a lot of clarity on kind of like what the story was, which was then able to like birth all these things then out of it and how, how important it is to get clarity of story because that, that really helps to birth the right kinds of things. But then beyond that, I'm curious, like how long has, has Restoration Roasters been going now? Yeah. Since basically December of 2014. Okay. So, so we're going on about six years now. Yeah. So now in the reality of running it and running it for about six years, how much does your reality match up with what your original vision was? Where's there discrepancies in that? Like sure. what kinds of things did you have to decide like, Oh, I, I'm willing to give this up because of reality. And were there things that you were like, even um, no, this is such a part of the vision that I can't give that up. And we're going to push harder to make that thing happen. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't, why don't I first, um, you know, cover the story because yes. I think that that will help. Okay. And then, then I can talk about what is true today. That was, you know, part of the original vision. Um, you know, the story of restoration roasters is not by accident. The whole idea of restoration is exactly uh, what we're looking to do because one of the things that we see in people is there is a story and there is a value in everyone. And part of our role in this process is to restore that which was lost along the way. And one of the things that I wanted to do is give the homeless a name and an opportunity to tell their story because that's how important hmm. it is to me. I don't, I don't pass a homeless person. I pass Steve and Steve has a story. And there's a reason why Steve has a story and he's out here hurting. And if I know him as Steve, I'm going to treat him differently than I just pass by a homeless person. Yeah, 
And one of the things that I wanted people to do is introduce them to a Steve to be across the counter for someone to understand that there is value in this person and we're in the process of help restoring that. Hmm. And so that was the, the, the idea of restoration. That which people would toss and not ascribe any value to, there's amazing value. We just have to work to bring it back. You, you know what I mean? And for other people to see it. And so when you actually walk into Restoration Roasters, you see a lot of found objects or, or fencing that people threw away or all kinds mm, of materials yeah. that people threw away. But when we put them together, you see the value and people appreciate it and actually want to spend time in the midst of it. And so that's, that was the story, you know, behind uh, Restoration Roasters. Now, one of, one of the goals, you know, was to bring awareness so that people would have conversations directly with those who were in the program. Um, the other one was, uh, again, for vocational training. And the third one was to, to supplement the cost of some of the program at the rescue mission. And so what, what I would say is we've accomplished, we accomplished probably two out of th- the three. Okay. <laughs> so um, people from the rescue mission were coming up and they, they're getting vocationally trained, which was fantastic because specialty coffee is typically handcrafted coffee. Mm-hmm. So it, you don't just have the bin of coffees that goes in the machine that brews it right there and you pull it out and you hand it to somebody. You really have to grind the beans, tamper it, throw it in the machine. You've got to test. You got to pull it. You know what I mean? You got to make sure you pull it for the right time um, to get the quality of taste that you want, so on and so forth. So it's it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, it's really more of an art. It's kind of this mixture of art and science. And so we were able to do that. We were able to equip people with this kind of knowledge and experience and the beauty of that is there is a coffee shop in any decent sized town across the United States. And so we were hoping that this would be something portable that they could take with them and, and really be an asset to a Starbucks or another coffee chain. And we were seeing that happening. We were seeing where people were going through the vocational training. They were either able to use that specifically to do coffee, something related to coffee, like, um, you know, roasting beans or take the the confidence and some of the things they learn and go into a different industry. Mm-hmm. And so I think we we've accomplished that. I think Wonderful. that was something that was being accomplished along the way. One of the things I think that was, was a, was a pressure point for us is were we going to straight stay true to, to specialty coffee or were we going to allow something a little bit more inferior? And I hate to say it that way. It makes me, you know, sound like a snob, you know, in order to get the price point, you know, or to get the, yeah. you know, the margins that we needed on the product. Yeah, for you know? sure. Um, we decided not to. We decided that we want to stay pure um, okay. be, because we wanted the, the quality of the coffee um, to be on par with the quality of the cause. And so in I like that, that phrase, the quality yeah. of the coffee being on par with the quality of the coffee. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, what that did is it, it hurt my third goal. <laughs> so yeah. where I was hoping that this would offset some of the costs of the mission, I would say sometimes it was break even and sometimes it even lost a little bit of money. Okay. Um, but then you have to go, okay, well, what is the value of training people? If you had to pay to train people, how much would that cost? Mm-hmm. What's the value of getting in front of, you know, however many hundreds of customers to, to express the value 
of these people and homelessness and try to draw people attention. And so it, it didn't quite subsidize, you know, some of the program costs like I had hoped it to, sure. but, but we weren't able to give up on, you know, the, the quality, if you will, um, both investing in the product, investing in the people. Yeah. I, I love that. I love one that you were real clear about what was really important and that forced you to have to make some hard decisions. And can I ask like a real practical question that absolutely that, like what we would push into, like with some of our other guests with something like that, can you just like describe for me a little bit of like how you go about making that decision? Is that something that you're making on your own? Do you have a team with you? Do you, have you like put these three like big goals up and it's like, which one gets more weight with us? Cause because every leader has these big ideas and vision and at some point has to make some of these hard decisions about which one do we give more weight and value to or which one like do we sacrifice for the sake of the other? How, can you just tell me a little bit about yeah, what think, that process was? I think the big the big thing is the motive behind it. Okay. If, if my motive, my primary motive is to see people restored and trained hmm. and to connect with other people that they normally wouldn't have a chance to connect with to understand their story, then, then the other thing doesn't matter to me. Now, if I'm, if I'm in a different type of industry and, you know, want to accomplish something different, it might be very different, you know? So yeah. if, if it was more of a profit motivation, then the way that I was going about it may not be the best way to go about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Even kind of in my mind, as you're describing that, I was thinking of it as like the, um, the goal of the vocational training was so significant that it was almost like the um, being able to give the profits to to that work um, was kind of a secondary goal that it was Correct. like that that that's one of the outcomes we'd like to have be true, but it's not one of the primary drivers. That's right. Yeah. And the, and the, the beauty of it, it was set up as a 501c3. So even people who would never drink the coffee for whatever reason okay. donated to Restoration Roasters because they saw what we were trying to accomplish. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So can I ask another super practical question, especially Absolutely. I'm thinking of for like when I was serving um, at the church I was at for 19 years and we would have ideas like this, at some point the rubber meets the road and we've got to figure out, well, at a pragmatic level, how does this work out? And so you had a church that you were leading that I assume was probably its own 501c3. It was, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so did you, did Restoration Roasters, did you launch that under the umbrella of your church or did you create a separate entity? And with the disclaimer for everybody who's listening that we're not offering legal advice, talk to all the people that you need to talk to. <laughs> Don't hold us responsible. Whatever sort of disclaimers we need to give right now, assume that we have given them. Um, what What did you do and why sure. did you do it that way? Yeah, so there was a couple things. One, um, I actually did it under the umbrella of the, the, the rescue mission instead okay. of the umbrella of the church. Interesting. Because what I wanted to do is build something that was sustainable for them. Um, you, because this was such a big part of what they do. And I felt, I felt like it really rounded out what they were trying to accomplish. Um, now the, the church was a supporter of that yeah. and uh, invested time into that. Um, but didn't, did invest, didn't invest significant money into that. I mean, the, the money that was given to the church was for the purposes of the church, because as a pastor, my, my primary goal is to reach people, you know, with the gospel, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And this secondary goal 
was was Restoration Roasters. Okay. And so I set it up under, and it still is today, under the 501c3 umbrella of um, of the rescue mission. And, um, and, you know, it was, it was interesting if I can just kind of expand on that. One of the things that I think was happening is that the place that we were looking at, um, at the church where Restoration Roasters, uh, is located that, that kind of corner of the campus had struggled for a while. Hmm. And I think it was helpful for somebody to come from the outside and try to establish something there. Um, where it could stand on its own, but could also serve the needs of the campus that it was on. Right. And uh, I think that was helpful. So you actually went to another church outside of yours Correct. that had a spot on its campus that you're like, hey, here's a great way that our church can partner with you and that the rescue mission can partner with you. And like the three of us together can make this thing happen. Yeah, because the vision of the senior pastor was that they would reach, you know, this community. Yeah. And they couldn't necessarily do it maybe in the way that I was doing it, but they could certainly participate in it and show their support for it. And so for them, it was actually just a real natural fit to say, no, this is great. You know what I mean? This isn't necessarily something that we would do on our own, but we can support you in doing it. And by supporting you, we are accomplishing our goal of reaching yeah. the community. Um, and so it worked out. I mean, it, it's a God story there. I love that. How much, um, when you're approaching a pastor of, of a, of a larger church like that, that's got a bigger campus and that has some space and that you're actually pitching them, like, we want to use some of your space for this other idea. Um, how much of your vision is clarified at that point and how much of it is kind of open to like, how much are you going in with like, almost like a proposal that you're pitching them versus like we have this thing we want to do a partnership with you and we're kind of a little bit open about it so that you can speak into it too. Yeah, this one in particular, Mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't say this is every time, but this one in particular, I had some insight into um, the church. I had some insight as to what they were trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. um, because I was serving them in an outside role just as a a volunteer. Yes, you had a relationship there. I had a relationship with this church for years and years and years. So I kind of knew what they wanted to accomplish. I knew that this corner specific area um, that was available was losing money for them and and a decent amount on a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, gosh, if I could install something that helps them, you know, helps them, um, you know, continue in their ministry and serving this community and also relieves the burden, maybe even adds some cash back to them. Yeah. Um, I think this could be a nice partnership. So I, I went into it knowing some things that maybe somebody wouldn't have. So um, I came to it as a pitch. It, it was, okay. Hey, I have this thought. I know some of your needs. I know how we might be able to fill those needs, you know, and co-create here. Um, and it, if all doesn't work, then you got a fantastic looking <laughs> coffee shop, you know, on your campus, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and they actually were very kind. They actually invested in some of the original TIs with us, I um, it. because I, they, they caught the vision and, you know, you know, just to brag on plain Joe a little bit, when we do our concepts, I mean, when I take the concept package and I put it into the store, it's amazing how close they are together. So when I was able to show a concept package, it wasn't, it was very easy for them to sign off because they knew exactly kind of what that was going to look like. And, and they couldn't, you know, they, they just, 
they couldn't, you know, support us fast enough as, as how much they supported us. And I, and I really appreciate that. That's really good. I love that. Um, if I could ask you one more question, that's kind of a little bit specific and then of I want to, then I want to back up a little bit and get like a kind of higher level view and talk about like how this applies into the way that we think about the future of the church, how some of the things that you've learned there. I want to, I want to move into like that larger question, but yeah, before sure. I do that, um, so through this process, through launching a church in a rescue mission, through the work of Restoration Roasters, you have um, you've gotten to like know and be friends with a lot of people in the homeless community. Yeah. And can I just ask, are there things that um, that you didn't know or that you were misguided on that you think about differently about how you help the homeless community now um, because of the work that you're doing? Do you see that differently in any way? Yeah, I felt like I got a four-year degree over five years um, (laughs) in working with the the homeless community. And um, going into it, I I really, you know, had some thoughts and some beliefs. And, you know, through through time, I think um, God gently corrected those (laughs) those thoughts and those beliefs. Um, You know, before I I, I was more of a handout type of person. So If I would see a homeless person, um, I, I would give them money. Um, I would provide them a meal. Um, I, I would give, you know, like a, a blanket or a jacket or, or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but as I got into the program and understood what it really looks like to help somebody get through that, that time in their life, I really quickly switched to a, a, a hand up. Um, approach instead of a handout. Because what what I found in my personal experience is that a handout kind of perpetuated their, yep. their situation, where a hand up really gave them an opportunity to change their life. Hmm. And um, I, I'll give you a brief story. Yeah, you know, please. we were we were at one time, serving dinners from the rescue mission. So we were kind of doing a twofold, right? Um, we were doing a handout and a hand up with the hope that in a handout, we could convince people of the hand up, okay. <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Because sure. yeah. they would be coming into the place that they would be living. And uh, there was a gentleman on staff and he connected with a, a, a homeless individual at a gas station. And he said, hey, um, you know, I, I think he could kind of tell, you know, you know, he was a, a homeless individual and he just said, hey, why, why don't you go through the program? And the answer to that is why would I go to the program if I know that I get, you know, two square meals a day where I have lunch at the park and this ex church provides that. And I have dinner with you guys, <laughs> you know what I mean? Would, you know, why, why would I do that? Why would I want to put, subject myself to a bunch of rules? And, and that's what really just like solidified it for me. You, you okay. know what I mean? And I know people think that that they're trying to help when we call it the kind of peanut butter and jelly brigade, when they go down to the parks and things like hmm. that, and they're handing out sandwiches and stuff. But in, in many ways, it, it doesn't quite accomplish what we're hoping to accomplish. Um, and and so what we were trying to do is, in, is educate people so that if you were going to hand something out, it was with intention and it, and it, and it actually had a next step to try to connect them to the missions program, if you will, um, versus just trying to meet the need in the moment. Yeah, that's really, um, it really reminds me of a book that came out a few years ago that was real popular in the circles that I was in called when helping hurts. Yeah. 
that was getting passed around the church circles for a while. I'd recommend yeah. it if you haven't read it, if you're a church leader. Um, and so maybe even like a good place to start is to like go to your local rescue mission. And rather than like uh, what happens in the church a lot of times is somebody has a burden to do something and you go for like the shortest distance. It's like, what's the, the sort of like quickest thing. And that makes a whole lot of sense. And what you're kind of advocating for is like, like there's actually larger systems that are at play here and you might actually be hurting. Like you have this desire to help and you actually might be hurting rather than helping. And so like, what if you go to the spaces where the, there's people who have been engaged in this work for a long time and have, um, have been doing the work and that you can ask them like, Hey, in what way can I best help? And sometimes it, it, doesn't it doesn't feel as good as that quick little jolt that you get by by doing that quick thing but like but it actually can be much better and more restorative long term absolutely and i and that that's the thing you know when when you would meet somebody um like we had a gal and uh she she came into the rescue mission she was homeless living living in a tent uh, in riverside and uh family had um, asked her if she would like to to join them and and uh, and coming to the rescue mission this this woman got the opportunity to see what the the program was and she went through the two years and she actually ended up getting uh, an internship with one of our pastry providers so that's okay. where um, it wasn't directly with yeah, restoration yeah. roasters but with one of our pastry providers I love that. and uh, she did fantastic she she graduated. Um, she was a manager for them. We were able to, to get her a car. Um, wow. Her life is sustainable today, you know, because of that program and because of this Christ Center program that was able to help her through that. And that took a lot of time, energy, and investment uh, of resource. But look at the payout, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's versus, so good. Yeah, versus maybe something less than that, you, you know what I mean? So That's so good. I love it. Yeah. Um, well, Blake, as you know, because you helped to create this podcast, that, that what we're doing <laughs> on this podcast is we're trying to explore innovative ways that transformational leaders are leading and reimagining the church for tomorrow. And we want to help, help pastors and church leaders um, about the way that they think about the future of the church. Yeah. So we want to help people in, in thinking innovatively and creating space for dreaming about tomorrow. So for you, as you had this vision for this thing that you felt like God gave to you, what did you learn in the process of, of casting the vision, in the process of implementing the vision, in the process of living out the reality of the vision? What did you learn in doing all this that's helpful for as we think about pastors and church leaders, as they consider the innovative programs at their own churches, as they consider like the visions that they think God's giving them, the things that are being birthed inside of them, what did you learn in this whole process that you feel like th- this would be really helpful for you all to know about this kind of process. Yeah. W- what I learned through this process was the power of partnership. Hmm. I couldn't have done it on my own. So without Robbie Sater and team from Espresso Republic and him just investing hours and hours of time um, or the partnership with the church that, that we located uh, restoration on, it would have never come to, to fruition. And I, I think sometimes we as visionaries and entrepreneurs is it like, it all has to be us. And maybe even senior pastors uh, of churches, it's like, if it's not homegrown, then it's not us. Hmm. 
but I think we're a perfect example where God is using other people. And what would it look like to partnership with those people where they're really good at what they do and you're really good at what you do, but you both win in that process. Ultimately, God's vision for your church is still coming to fruition, whether, you know, regardless if you're partnering with somebody, you know right. what I mean? It doesn't have to be from the ground up. There's, there's plenty of people that I think do fantastic things that if we can just partner together, there's a lot more that can actually be accomplished. Um, and so that was the thing that I learned in this man without, without partnerships, um, this, this vision couldn't have flourished and without the church being open to partners, it wouldn't have happened. Oh yeah. I love that so much. I mean, I think that that's, uh, it's a really beautiful way for the church to continue to move forward is to, for pastors to recognize and church leaders to recognize you're not the only, you're not the only game in town. You're not the only one trying to do kingdom work in town. You don't have to be a solo entity. And even for a pastor to realize you don't need to be Moses who goes up on the hill and receives a word from God and like tries to carry it all yourself. In fact, like Moses gets a word from his, his father-in-law who tells him like the burden that you're carrying on your own is too heavy. You need to divide up the work. And, and so there's something really significant and powerful about, about what you um, are saying here. And you launched something that was really great because you were willing to do that. Yeah. It's, once I realize it's not mine, <laughs> it's, hmm. it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot easier. Um, and, um, just as we partnered with the rescue mission to be the church there, you know, the partnerships with the church and Espresso Republic, um, were the key to success at, 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 for restoration. Roasters. It's really good. Um, where can people find out more information about restoration roasters? Yeah, you can go to restorationroasters.com. Unfortunately, you know, during the pandemic, um, our shop has been closed, but you can still purchase things. Uh, you know, you can still purchase coffee and some some shirts, other things online at restorationroasters.com. That's good. And um, and so I noticed that you do a coffee subscription there, and that's something that people who are listening all over the country can subscribe to. It's not just local to here, right? That's right. Yeah, and those beans, just so you know, uh, those beans are being roasted, um, and they're being roasted by people going through the program um, in the Orange County campus. And so uh, we were able to purchase a roaster. There's a gentleman there that leads that up and trains people. And it's just another way for vocational training. That's so incredible. I love that so much. Oh, Blake, I'm really, really glad that we got to talk about this. We we had just given little, little pieces of it. And I actually, I had held off on asking you more questions about this because I knew some of the story. I didn't know all of it, but I didn't I didn't want to ask you too much because I wanted to have an opportunity for us to to record ourselves hearing yeah. about it. And um, I I just got to tell you, I am so um, I, I am so impressed and so blown away by this this um, vision that you carried out, that you followed through on, and the way that God is using it to care for the homeless community in really tangible, significant, and long lasting ways. I, I just think it's really really powerful. I'm really I'm really, really grateful that you took that step into that. I appreciate it, man. And I I give glory to God. And I just thank you for the opportunity just to to platform, um, you know, what what God has done through really that ministry. So that's great. Great. Well, friends, this has been another episode of the Tomorrowland Church podcast. And we're so glad that you joined us today. Uh, Just to run through our quick credits here, our friend Caleb Henry produces this. And you can contact Caleb if you want to hire him at caleb.m.henry97 at gmail.com. Scott Moore has produced and created the original music on the Tomorrowland Church podcast. 
and he's at O-N-E-M-O-O-R-E-Scott at gmail.com. If you want to talk to Blake, he's Blake at PlainJoeStudios.com, and I'm Mike at PlainJoeStudios.com. And please check out Restoration Roasters, RestorationRoasters.com. Start a coffee subscription with them today for some quality coffee that is on par with the quality of the cause. We'd love for you to get involved with that. And until next time, thanks, everyone. See you guys.